Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Stories are a powerful medium. If you doubt the power of stories, just look to the multi-million dollar, nay, multi-billion dollar industry that is Hollywood. Their job is one thing and one thing alone, and it's to tell stories, compelling stories. Oh, and don't we love their stories? Come on now. You know we love their stories. Their stories make us laugh. Their stories make us cry. They make us feel warm and cozy inside. They entertain us. They give us an escape from real life. We travel to distant places, to distant times, and our imagination is carried away. And since stories are so powerful, is it no wonder that the Bible is largely told in story format and in narrative? It's no wonder that Jesus employed stories and parables in his teaching. Now, Jesus didn't always explain the meaning of his stories and parables. Sometimes he did, but sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he left it up to the listener to think And to learn what the meaning of that story was. Likewise, in the Old Testament, we read about both the good stories and also about the bad stories. And scripture doesn't necessarily have discussion questions at the end of each chapter to tell us what went wrong and what went right. But we're called upon us, the reader, the listener, to be able to discern what is good and what is true. And so as you listen to the story this morning, I ask that you do it with your thinking caps on. All right, are they on? Let me see you guys. Put them on. All right. Okay, very good. Listen actively. Listen to what you think is true, honest, right, pure, lovely, and listen to see what perhaps isn't and what changes perhaps you can make in your life as a result. How does that sound? The title of our story this morning. So this is Christmas. So this is Christmas. A story written by Temple Bailey. Priscilla was a beautiful redheaded nurse. Why was she beautiful? Because she was a nurse. And if you're a nurse, you're a beautiful person. How does that sound? My sister's a nurse. She's a beautiful person. Any nurses here? Any nurses here, right? We have beautiful people and even male nurses. But here, Priscilla was a beautiful redheaded nurse. Why was she redheaded? I don't know. That's just how the story goes. But Priscilla was a beautiful redheaded nurse And not only was she beautiful, but she was also intelligent. Not only was Priscilla beautiful and intelligent, she was also skilled in her line of work. Not only was Priscilla beautiful, intelligent, skilled, but she was also loved by all her patients. You see, she loved laughter and joy. And it was often through her joyful demeanor that she broke through the darkness that often engulfed her patients there in the hospital. 
She was very attentive. She was thoughtful. She was kind to all their needs. She truly spent herself in service for her patients. And there on her hospital floor were a few patients. There was Pinckney, who was blind, um, or was going blind. Don't forget that, Pinckney, he was going blind. There was also Bruel, who was, who was dying. And the rest of the patients on her floor, on the outside, they looked like a cheerful lot, but most of them knew that there wasn't much of a future ahead for them. And as lovely as Miss Priscilla was, she had a little bit of a superficial side to her. Uh, in her own words, ready? In her own words, she was a money-grubbing, selfish little beast. Well, at, at least that's what she told Dr. Grant. You see, Dr. Grant was madly in love with Priscilla. In fact, it hadn't been on just one occasion that he had proposed courtship and marriage to her, but each and every time Priscilla had rebuffed his advances. And she would tell Dr. Grant, you see, once upon a time, she said, my father had money and I liked it. And I'd like to have money again. And I want a husband who can give me things. I want a townhouse and I want a country house, and I want a beach house, and I want a doll house, and I want a white house, and I want a lake house, and I want a little house on the prairie, and I want a mansion just over the hilltop, and I want a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, and a big, big table with lots and lots of food, and a big backyard where we can play football. And I want a vacation house too. I want at least five cars, one for myself, one for my husband, one for the family, one for the weekend, and one just to keep in the garage. And I also want a yacht. I want clothes. I want dresses. I want outfits. I want shoes. I want purses. And I will not be happy without them. Now, by saying these things, uh, her intent was for Dr. Grant's love for her to wane. She wasn't interested in him. But Dr. Grant knew her better than that. Now, you may wonder, well, he was a doctor. What do you mean he didn't have any money? Well, yes, Dr. Grant was a doctor, but he was also a priest, and he had taken a vow of poverty, and he donated all his income to charity. And so if they married, there would be no money for all the luxuries that Priscilla wanted. And so it's Christmas Eve. What day is it? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. And so it's Christmas Eve, and Patricia is making her rounds on the hospital floor, and, and finally she reaches Pinckney. Now, you remember Pinckney, right? Yes, he was, he was going blind. And so as she was helping him, feeding him his soup, he, she was, he was the last patient um, on the floor that she was seeing that day. What day was it again? Christmas Eve. And she was helping him feed him his, his chicken noodle soup here. Mmm. No, there's no chicken in there. Mmm. Some people know me. Mmm. But there are noodles in there. As she was feeding Pinkney his chicken soup, she came close to him and she said, Pinkney, 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 guess what? It's like, what? An old friend of mine from high school found me on Facebook. 
And, and she sent me an invitation to attend a, a Christmas party with her, a Christmas Eve party. Oh, and it's going to be grand. She lives in a mansion, and, and there's a, a grand staircase that comes down. And, and she sent me this beautiful green dress with silver lace on it. And she sent me some silver heels. And oh, it's going to be a grand, wonderful time. As soon as, in fact, as soon as my shift ends tonight, she's sending a chauffeur to pick me up. And from there, we'll dine tonight and then tomorrow. And, and it's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. And then Pinkney said, but, but that means then you won't be here for Christmas. And she said, oh, Pinkney, don't worry. I, I'm, not, I'm not that important of a person. Uh, but don't worry. I'll leave everything set for you, for, for you boys to have your, your Christmas tree and your Christmas presents. And in fact, I shouldn't be doing this, Pinkney, but, but I have something for you. I have your Christmas gift for you. Now, remember, Pinkney was blind. And so he heard something wind up, and she pulled it out. You hear it? She gave him a, a little music box as his gift. He couldn't see, but he could still hear. A little something to bring joy into his Christmas. And so she said, Pinkney, I, I won't wish you a, a Merry Christmas. It, it can't be that. But I do wish you a brave one. And after she left, she walked back down the floor to the unit to the nurse's station, and there was Dr. Grant. And, and as she said goodbye for the evening to Dr. Grant, he said, well, we'll see you tomorrow, Priscilla. And uh, she realized that he didn't know that she wasn't going to be there tomorrow. And so she quickly turned and she said, I've been invited to a house party, and I'm going to look grand, and it's going to be wonderful, and we're going to have a, a, an amazing time. And Dr. Grant turned and, 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 and said to Priscilla, but, um, but what, about, what about the patients? What kind of Christmas will they have here without you? Oh, I'm not that important, she said. And, and, anyway, and anyhow, I want some fun for myself. I'm not a saint or I'm not a sister of charity. I'm a human. I've got to see some happy people. Here in the hospital, there's only... Well... Quickly changing the subject back to the ball. The chauffeur will pick me up tonight. I'll dine at eight. And after that, there's the dance. And I'm going to dance and I'm going to dance and I'm going to dance until the daybreak. And I'm going to have fun and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to think about nothing and no one else except myself. Pausing for a bit with a look of disbelief, Dr. Grant said, you know what, Priscilla? I, I think you'll be happier being here tomorrow feeding Pinkney his soup. With that, he wished her a Merry Christmas and she left. It was 7 p.m. when she arrived at her destination. And let me tell you, boy, was that place, that mansion was huge. It had a high iron gate. There was, a, there was a, a, a butler standing in front of the door. There was a footman standing at the, at the steps of the stairs to help her up. There was even a maid in her room to help her dress. And then she saw Barbara, her old friend from high school. She called her Babs for short. Barbara Babs, have you heard that one, Barbara Babs? Called her Babs for short. After high school, Barbara had decided to uh, study abroad, and she had moved to uh, Italy. Buongiorno, everybody. Italy. 
And there she spent the next 10 years of her life, and she had just returned to the United States with her husband, Nick, and her five-year-old son. And as they were catching up, Babs was describing life in Italy and how things over there were different and they were more sophisticated. And and Priscilla noticed that Babs was just a little bit different. Um, She had changed. Uh, And she wasn't quite sure if she was connecting with this new and improved Babs. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you have a friend that you were really close, but then with time you maybe drift apart a little bit? This is how Priscilla was. She wasn't sure if she was connecting with Babs here and... Um, the old Babs had been down to earth, but this new Babs, this new Barbara, was, um, was just a little different, a little different. They went to the nursery, and, and there was uh, Barbara's five-year-old son, um, along with the nanny. And the nanny was helping the little toodles, that's what we'll call him here, was helping little toodles hang up his stocking. And uh, Priscilla just didn't understand why it wasn't Babs who was helping little toodles hang up the stocking. And uh, Priscilla was thinking, if that were my son, I'd spend every last minute with him. And then Barbara comes and says, oh, you know, little toodles, oh, you, you handsome, you handsome little boy you are. Oh, you're handsome just like your, just like your father, and taps him on the, on the head like that. And Babs continued and said, you know, you know, Priscilla, children are wonderful, but not always. You see, um, you see my, my husband, Nick, he, he wants me to, to be able to be free to do things. And, and with little toodles here to think of, sometimes I'm not free. And so that's why we hired a nanny. So I could be free and I could come and go as I please. With that, they both returned to their rooms to get ready. And so Priscilla, with the help of her maid, curled her hair, powdered her face, um, touched up her brows, um, touched up her brows and her lashes, deepened the roses of her cheeks, and she slipped on the green dress, the green dress with silver lace on it, and she shod her feet with the silver heels, and she looked in the mirror, and boy, was she a raving beauty. When Priscilla came down the stairs, all the men crowded about her, and and Babs introduced Priscilla to her husband, Nick, who immediately took a liking to her, and and he asked her to honor him with a dance later that evening. At dinner, two young men sat next to Priscilla, Trucks and Benny. Don't ask me where they got those names from or what their parents were thinking, but it was Trucks and Benny. Oh, and they were great fun, and they were flattering Priscilla, and they were drinking all the champagne. Oh, the, how do you know? Mm. Drinking all the champagne, and they were trying to get Priscilla to drink, and Priscilla would kindly refuse, and they would kind of laugh and, and giggle a little bit, and they'd say, come on, you mustn't have such a holy conscience about you, Priscilla. Uh, it's, it's Christmas Eve. Just drink a little bit. It, it'll be fun. Um, we're here to have a great time. After dinner, indeed, she had a grand and glorious time. Live music was marvelous. The floor was perfect. The ballroom decorations were heavenly. And indeed, she danced and she danced and she danced. And there didn't seem any end to it. And indeed, she didn't want it to end. But then towards midnight, 
it seems like the party or the fun grew wild and wilder. And at last, the two young men who sat next to her, Trucks and Benny, they approached her and they said, Hey, can you hear that? Let's, uh, let's ditch this place and go back um, to my place. Patsy felt uncomfortable with that suggestion. And she tried to, uh, thank you, and she tried to shrug them off. But they insisted. And, and, and Priscilla began to feel vulnerable. And just then, Nick, Bab's husband, interjected. And rescued her from trucks and Benny, and he sent them away. And boy, was she glad. Was she glad that was over. Nick took the opportunity to dance with Priscilla, and and he was quite a delightful dancer. He was very charming. He was polite. He was refined. And with each dance, Nick talked about her red hair and how the wonderful women of history had all been redheaded. There was Helen of Troy. There was Cleopatra and the rest. And and by the third dance, Priscilla, he asked Priscilla where she thought she ranked among the great women of the world. And, and Priscilla began to wonder whether she had really been rescued or not. She started feeling uncomfortable with where the conversation was going. And, and Nick began to make a few subtle yet disparaging remarks about his wife. But yet how Priscilla was so different and so lovely. Towards the end of the dance, he whispered in her ear, If you want, I can teach you about freedom tonight. At that moment, Babs came and and asked Nick to accompany her to the tree, and, and it was an amazing tree. There were lights, and there was tinsel, and there were golden ornaments, and Christmas globes, and boxes and boxes of gifts, and silver balloons, golden bows, bubbles, the fragrance of evergreens, and vials of rose perfumes. And then a processional came in through the doors. And that procession moved into the room, and the music grew louder and louder, and the drums beat more intensely, and the saxophones, and the syncopation, and the colors, and, the par- and parading in that procession were jesters, slaves bearing gifts, weaving back and forth in a fantastic dance, servants holding streams, streaming bowls aloft, young women dancing and, and waving their veils, and mounted on a barrel was the spirit of Christmas. Now, Priscilla wasn't a prude. Uh, She knew that there was no harm in having fun on on Christmas, on Christmas Eve, if one wanted to. But as for herself, she didn't want it if she had to have it with trucks and Benny. She knew that there was no harm in having fun on Christmas Eve if one wanted to. But as for herself, she didn't want it if she had to have it with Nick, who wanted to teach her of some glorious freedom. She wasn't a prude, and she knew there was no harm in having fun on Christmas Eve if one wanted to. But as for herself, she didn't want it if it was with all those flushed women who seemed to have forgotten that because of, listen here, that because of a great mother, this night of all others should have been spent in their homes with their children and family. Priscilla recognized that she wasn't having a good time. Something was missing. Perhaps someone was missing. 
All about her, people were shouting, Merry Christmas! But it didn't seem to her that any of it was merry. Yes, their voices grew louder and the fun fun grew fast and furious, but of real mirth, of simple, satisfying happiness, she could see no sign. And Priscilla's nerves were a bit on edge. She felt afraid. She felt a little shaky. She felt like she didn't belong. I mean, she couldn't quite define it, but there was something in the air, something sinister, something malevolent, something corrupting. She had expected it would be different. She expected that it would be fun. Yes, fun. Yes, mirth. Yes, something fine and exquisite. But there had been nothing fine about what she had seen. And so as she took it all in for a final time, she said, So this is Christmas? So this is Christmas? Immediately, Priscilla uh, left the ballroom and she went up the stairs to the second floor. And when she, was re- when she reached the top of the floor, she walked to the hall, to the window um, at the end of the hall. And as she stood there, she looked over the hills, gazing out at the peaceful, silent night. Snowflakes were falling. The moon was out. The stars were shining in their glory. And her mind was taken back to her hospital unit, to Bruel, who was passing to Pinckney, who was going blind, to her other patients unable to spend Christmas in their homes with their family. And her mind was also taken to Dr. Grant, who faithfully sacrificed his evening to care for those who were sick. And so while thinking on these things, she heard a, a little voice at her side. I want my nanny. She turned and she looked, and it was Bab's son, and she bent down and, and she told them, she said, to, or she told them, Nani will be back tomorrow morning. Uh, but in the meantime, will I do? You know, I'm a Nani too. And uh, he asked uh, Priscilla, uh, do you take care of little boys like me? She said, no, I, I take care of grown men. Would you rather take care of little boys like me? And Priscilla said, well, tonight I will. And she took him up in his arms, tucked him, took him back to his room, carried him back to his room and tucked him in his bed. And little Toodles there asked her, will you tell me a story? Uh, uh, can you tell me a story about Santa Claus? And oh, what about Donner and Blitzen? And, and at that time, Priscilla interrupted him and she said, you know what? I, I know a better story. I know a better one. In fact, it's the greatest story ever told. It's about a little baby boy and his name was Jesus. After little Tootles had fallen asleep, Priscilla went back to her room, changed out of her dress, packed her bags, and she left a note for Babs saying, Babs, darling, I've I've got to go. I've got to go back. There's a blind boy at the hospital and another who can't get well and 
I think I ought to look after them. Thank you for the invitation. And if you ever need me, I'll come to the end of the earth for you. And so, as the sun rose early on Christmas Day, the men in the hospital ward, they felt there wasn't much to wake up for. There was Bruel, restless with pain, and Pinckney, although the night was over, it would always be night for him. And suddenly they heard a voice. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And they recognized it was the voice of Miss Priscilla. And Priscilla shook hands with all her patience. And when she came to Pinckney, she held his hand a little longer. And she told him, Pinckney, I've got a present for you. Can you find your way to the sunroom in 15 minutes? And, and, and Pinckney wondered, well, what, what else would Miss Priscilla give me for a present? And so there he waited in the sunroom for her. And Priscilla asked him, Pinckney, would you like to see the lovely sky? Well, of course, of course I would. I'd love to see the sky. Well, let me tell you about it. Can you close your eyes right now and imagine this with me? Around the horizon is a strip of silver, and above that, a strip of rose, and above that, deep purple. You see, Pinckney, the ophthalmologist called this morning. And he said that they've looked at your case and they found a cure. So by this time next year, you'll be able to see, open your eyes, you'll be able to see the morning sky on Christmas Day. His hand reached out to her shoulder and gripped it and he didn't say a word, but it was worth everything to see the hope on his face. It was worth more than all the glitter and the gleam of golden orbs and bows and green downs and silver heels. It was worth all the hard work she had ever done and worth all the hard work that was yet to come. To see the radiance of his countenance as he turned his eyes up towards the coming light. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.